0: whip through this really towards the end. Um, did anybody at all find it this morning um, sort of exciting when you realize that the heavens are actually declaring His glory more than it just looking? Isn't that neat? Um, and when you bring it all into this beautiful thing of the creation is bowing down and the heavens are declaring His glory and the beauty of even in its broken state. We're in the, we're in the broken version. And you, you see all this going on, you think, my goodness, how could we reduce this to a little religious experience? He is teaching us who He is um, through a love model. And if we actually get this, what happened in the early church, um, it was conquering the Roman Empire without a weapon. And so it's kind of like the power of what changed the course of human history um, it wasn't just, you know, s- smooth talking or money or technology or all these things. What actually changed the course of human history and was delivering the message was love. And he says, I am love. So, so we spend a lifetime, I believe we'll spend an eternity understanding the depth of who he is and his love. Do you, you know? Isn't that cool? Like, you know, like we don't have a capricious God or a God that says, well, you know, maybe, or doesn't hold up to his promises or things like that. We actually are standing on the faith. and if, And if we just continue to keep walking together, I mean, you know, we can get there as we all grow to the fullness in Him, the more we gather like this, the more we get in discipleship, the more we do these things, the more time you will be spending with Him in you. And do you know, as the fullness of Him grows in each and every one of us, guess who you're spending time with every time you get together for fellowship? Isn't that neat? We actually can get to spend time with Him. And um, so... This is a beautiful thing when we come together like this, and we do the, we do the very best that we can you know i I certainly um you know I guess you guys could hear hear um, you know and go through different things a certain way, and I just serve the best I can, and I know you do too right we do, we 're doing we 're kind of sort of working this out, and uh, none of us are perfect, you know, and we don 't all know it all or that sort of a thing so um Love each other along the way because we're not going to get it perfect. Um, I'm just going to rush kind of right to the end here. Um, I kind of focused a little bit on what was going on with... Um, it really should work both ends. That's You know, you get this fancy technology and it should do it. Uh, um, okay. Here we go um I'm gonna, i 'm just going to I kind of rushed over that this morning, and I just want to slow it down a bit just on this one and then we 'll get into the q and a but um had anybody heard of these flat red moons or tetrads or you know that were happening this year yeah um, the the thing that I want to just slow it down a bit on um, is to let you know that look like everything we tend to do, we tend to go to these polar extremes and you've got people that go that ah, doesn't matter I don't know what the heck it is don't care Just as stupid right and they and they, and they, literally don't want to know doesn't mean anything whatever's going on you know I've even heard uh, you know oh well, they're not all seen from Jerusalem therefore they don't count I'm going okay that's an interesting perspective but what if Israel right now is his people right across the world because I'll tell you an interesting phenomenon of these Every part of the earth will see one. And it's still His moon. <laughs> and it's still happening on His appointed times. I think there's a place where we don't have to necessarily go and say, I've got it all worked out because the other extreme is what? Rapture's happening on every one of them apparently. So at what point are we to actually look at this? And I I think a balanced perspective that he has laid down a groundwork for us to look at things and to understand. On one hand, yes, he's posting something quite serious in the sky. The odds of this are fascinating, especially if you know a little bit of the history behind these in relationship to even just this past sort of century. In 1948 around the, you know, the state of Israel that was established at that time there was a warning. And the reason why I say warning is traditionally in in Hebrew culture a red moon is known as a sign or a warning. And a solar eclipse was a warning and a sign to the world um, if we were to put it in perspective of how God wanted us to look at His wristwatch. Now here's what's interesting. Um, in 1948, um, Israel was reestablished as a state officially. It actually happened in '47, but the official establishment was 1948. And then there really was an attack against uh, or wars or battles that they were involved in at that time. What is interesting is that what was occurring over 1949 and 50 was identical to what you're seeing here. Twenty years later, was something called the Six-Day War. Has anybody heard of the Six-Day War? Uh, quite an incredible thing. But the recapture of Jerusalem actually occurred at this time. Now, that is the fulfillment of actual biblical prophecy. So we could establish our own little version of Israel if we wanted. We could try and do all that kind of a thing. But you can't actually fake certain elements of this. You can't fake the heavens. And there are certain prophecies which we need to understand. And again, in 1967, that occurred. Scholars, Scholarship, the best that we can tell, the one before that, which goes back to the 14th century, and guess what it was? It was the Spanish Inquisition. The one that's happening right now is the eighth time in 2,000 years that's actually occurring on these dates in line with His appointed time. Does it have my attention? Yes. Do I know what to do with that intention? Yes, because no matter what I do with that intention, my intention should always be what? Yeah. Turn to Him. It should bring me to a place of repentance. You know, if I throw the baby out with the bathwater, I could lose perhaps something that's being put there for me to understand something at this time, to be awake. If I decide that I'm going to know exactly what they are and what they mean, I could actually put His word into repute. Disrepute, so so when we do this, when we when we take things too far, we can misrepresent him. Anybody know what the third commandment is? Yes. We think often mentioned this before, this is like a swear word, right? But it's actually a statement of an ambassadorship, and that's just one of many ways to misrepresent him. Right? You know, a hammer can drop on your foot and, yeah, some bad things can come up. But I'm not sure that's really what he's worrying about here in Sinai. I think he's actually going, what are we doing with his truth, his name? What are we really doing with it? Are we going to abuse it and do all sorts of funny games? You know, or are we going to throw it out and not care? Or are we actually going to come together and figure this out? Because one thing's for sure, over the next Hebrew year, by the way, this will happen exactly within a three hundred and sixty day Hebrew calendar year, and the events are quite staggering, there's one up there I don't have just which is trumpets. Um, so this pattern is kind of like the bookends of uh, the face or the appointed times, which is kind of interesting um, so I don't know. No one knows, and anyone who claims they know at this point (laughs) is probably going to lead into a little bit of trouble. To say that they don't matter, if you understand the precision of how his plan is playing out exactly, he knows the beginning from the end, there's no guesswork going on here. It might be a little silly just to be chucking out what we're actually living this next year in the sense of it reminding us of who put them there and why they might be there to go to him. Is that fair enough? Let's just keep a balanced perspective on it. And so the ones that are screaming here, oh, it's all a bunch of hogwash, and the ones that are screaming here, rapture's happening in every one of them, to- 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 clear the noise. Don't let anybody rob you from going, Father, what do you say? Right? We've got knees. We have his word. We have his spirit. What do you say, Father? Now what Curtis says i one, such and such says over here, or whoever over here. Just go and ask. See what He reveals to you. All I can do is say, look, they're happening. And I didn't do it. It's not my fault they're going on. He created them, they're His. But I just happen to understand certain things in a model which He has put into me over the last eight years that says, you know what, this one's interesting. And it has an interesting pattern and history. And they're happening on very interesting appointed times. And they involve both the solar and the lunar components, which the Hebrew calendar is a solar lunar calendar. The one we're on, um, I was picking on Pope Gregory this morning, is a lunar-based. Sorry, a solar-based one. Uh, So anyway, I just wanted to encourage you as you, um, as you sort of look into a bit more of these things and kind of do your own homework and wherever they may lead, there's lots of rubbish out there to discourage you one way or the other. There's also some really good truth out there and others that are getting it to actually keep you going, okay? So my, my words to you are this, okay? Just keep going. You can ask. Ask and you shall. Yeah. Seek and you shall. That's for you. It's for me. So if you think that this doesn't matter, then that's fine. Just have an understanding. Have a view that says, okay, I know why. If you think it really does, then that's fine. Have a view that has why, but just fellowship together. If we could all agree on everything at the same time, all the time, we'd already kind of be there. <laughs> but but we're gonna kind of have to walk this out together, in love, eh? Um, so behold the the line of God, and that's next week. And we're gonna have a look next week at um, an appointed time view of the end times which um, is not often taught. It's the less taught view, at least certainly from an evangelical uh, perspective. And um, so most of you will have never seen or thought of the end times fulfillment actually from the appointed time perspective. What is interesting about it, and what I really want to encourage you, is when I was finally being revealed this and could listen uh, in my heart, I realized I didn't have to keep twisting the data. And that was what was staggering to me. I didn't have to come up with fancy imaginations and what I thought and listen to this view, this view, that view. It actually falls into an interesting place. And if we know what he did the first time, to the day, to the hour, and there's four more to come, I'd suggest to you that the pattern is saying something pretty serious. And so how are we then to view that? Because when, when the disciples were asking, and in fact, the, the point's being made, I think, in Timothy, where, you know, no man should know the day nor the hour. We stop there, don't we? And the, West, and the Western mindset does what? Well, there's no way you can know anything. right? It, it, it does that. We don't understand a Hebrew building and understanding and a pattern of prophecy. Now, I'm going to explain that a bit more next week. But if you knew what he was actually saying, this is going to surprise you. Because, and the thing that I remind people is, let's just keep reading. Often if you get, get a view on something, it's kind of good. Just keep reading. And you know what goes on to say? But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day shall overtake you as a thief. This is interesting. So what does that mean? Because we quite like pointing this one out because I can get on with my life, can't I? No, no one can know. Back to the Liverpool game. The, the, well, somebody's got to have a go at you. You just stood up here and roasted everyone. Um, and, and the the other the other side of it, you know, um, it tends to sort of lead us to uh, just perhaps not caring. And I just can't help but think that he just wants us to keep seeking. Okay, just keep. Going. That's all. Despite our imperfections and our fallen state, hey, let's learn to be a body. I know I keep saying, but let's keep, let's do it. Let's actually do this. We can do it. So, um, we'll start with the Q and A, uh, and and thanks for those who sent in some questions, some very good questions, in a great great place. So, hopefully, it makes for an interesting discussion.
1: Clay, come up, buddy. We're going to sit on um, these chairs and up here tonight because I don't know about anyone else, but when we sit on the stools, my back was killing me at the end of that. Maybe just grab the red one. and uh, So this is a bit better, a bit more comfortable. Um, And thanks for sending in um, questions, whether it's been on uh, text and email. And we're going to start there. So we're going to start with the questions that we have been sent um, and then we'll just move through the different questions um, The other thing, if we, uh, if you ask a question from the floor Just wait, so if you can just put your hand up And then Simon's going to be running around with a mic And just wait till uh, the mic gets to you The reason for that is we're recording uh, all the questions So a little bit weird if Curtis or myself or Clay answers a question And the person who's listening at home goes What are they talking about? There's no reference point um, because no one can hear the question. So just wait till the mic and then speak, just like, listen to the mic, so everyone can can understand. So um, the first question uh, is this. I'm interested to know the source of your statement this morning, uh, that Christ was born on the Feast of Trumpets. I have not come across this idea before. The majority of teachers I follow and studies I have done say that he was born on Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles.
0: So can okay, that, that's that's quite an informed question. That's a very good question, actually. Um, whoever that one's come in from, um, uh, you're obviously already on the on the trail. Um, you wouldn't be able to ask it in such a way. Let's let's remember that, and just to explain, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, is about 15 days or is 15 days starts 15 days from feast of trumpets so what we're talking about here is these feasts get celebrated in the northern hemisphere's fall okay um makes it a little bit more trickier in our conversations down here but um and let's put it in perspective in the question there's only 15 days between these two what is to make my first point in this it is clearly nowhere near Christmas, which is the tradition that we celebrate, nowhere near. Um, and anybody who understands what even you're reading in Scripture, a lot of the things would be impossible in the wintertime at that time of the year. You're not actually going to see this occurring around Christmas in in, uh, in this part of the world. Um, they just simply don't have the shepherds out tending the flock. And, this whole, and you don't have the amount of people that are coming into Jerusalem at this time. And, and one of the reasons why Joseph and Mary couldn't find an inn. Do you want to know why? They had trouble. Remember they couldn't find a place? Because literally at this time of the year certainly tabernacles is a feast that is commanded for a gathering, there is literally thousands coming in to the land from all over. And so to find a place at this time wouldn't have been unusual at all. And they're trying to do it late in the peace. So if you know what you're reading, there's a huge gathering going on in the land. And so just that context of what we're looking at. Now, here's more to answer the question because it really is a good one. Very good um, scholars, experts, whatever you want to call them, people that are just looking, um, know that it would have had to have been around this time in the appointed times. There are views; um, the majority would wait to tabernacles. Um, so, what was pointed out here was that I said trumpets, and why? And I'm going to give you I'll give you a couple of reasons why, and this comes down to the number of witnesses. So we are talking a 15-day account. It's clearly not Christmas, but there's something witnessing why I would say what I'd say. and I can share that with you. And it's this, we not only have an understanding of the time of the year and in the appointed times it would be going on. So that's fine. Somebody who believes it's tabernacles, someone who would believe his his birth is trumpets are still in a 15-day period. So everybody can agree that from understanding just the plain Word, reading of the Word. The second thing that we all have is the Spirit confirming these things. So our spirit just senses that, yeah, this is, you know, where he's leading us in understanding. But the third witness that doesn't exist on tabernacles, that exists on trumpets, and I'm going to get into a fourth as well, but the third one is the heavens themselves. And that's a pretty powerful establishment that tabernacles doesn't have. And so we looked at this morning where we were showing in the heavens the event that the Magi were actually seeing that's recorded. Okay. That event occurred exactly on the Feast of Trumpets. They knew they were looking at the birth of the Messiah. Now We scientifically can go back now and pinpoint it to that degree. I'm going to take it even further. Has anybody here heard of something called Hanukkah? Yep. Hanukkah is really interesting. Okay? Because this came about, and and this is not one of the official appointed times. This is actually a Jewish celebration. But what they're celebrating is the liberation or the freeing of the temple. And what, what had been erected in the temple, and this is almost 200 years before Christ, what was erected in the temple? Does anybody know? What's that? Yeah. Oh, it was actually a statue of Zeus. Yeah. And so, in this revolt, they get back, they take it, eventually take this back and they get rid of this thing and reset up the menorah. Everybody know what the menorah is? The, the seven? Yeah. And it was symbolizing bringing the light back into the temple. Now, this is interesting. What's the temple today? Anybody know? <laughs> Great answer. Us. We're the temple. And him, the light of the world coming to the world, guess where that light's coming into? Us here's something really interesting. Exactly 270 days in that year. If you know what you're looking for, you can go back exactly. 270 days is the period of gestation for human life. Nine months. Exactly 270 days before on Hanukkah that year is the eve of Hanukkah. If you go forward nine months, you will get this sign that occurred in the heavens. So in other words, we have conception being able to be understood here. And you know what's interesting? (laughs) The light going back into the temple, whose lights literally igniting in Mary? This is really the, the, you know, when we can do it to this degree, this becomes actually incredible. If you get it, some of you will be sitting here going, I'm not quite following this. If he's born on trumpets and you go nine months before, you're on the eve of the very celebration of the light being reestablished back in the temple. To me, I find that interesting. I really do. Let's take it one step further now in the word. We know that Yeshua honored and celebrated the appointed times of his father. If not, he couldn't even have been the sinless lamb. Do you know there's one other thing He stood against a lot of the Jewish Talmud. In fact, in the end, he upset them so much he got put on the cross. Here's the final thing. He actually honored Hanukkah. And a lot of people can't understand why that is. And I believe we're living in the day and age where we're starting to understand, is it possible? Is it just possible he may have been honoring his own conception? So how far can this go if you're God? As far as he wants. Very different discussion, though, isn't it, when we can start to look at these things. So when somebody says, you know, the tabernacle, the trumpets argument, look, I respect why somebody would have a trumpet. In fact, it's, it's in the right place. But where I saw it, and I was actually, to be honest with you, was during tabernacles. I was in a tent in my garage. So What kind of an idiot does that? Honoring tabernacle and I was woken up in the middle of the night and this was where the Lord showed me revealed me. I'm sharing it with you now does he meet us in his appointed times his promise and his word is that he does so that's the best answer I can give but I certainly understand the question and it's a darn good question
1: Um, the person that asked that question is there any more clarification that you need is that Julie? Yeah. Did, did you want to... <laughs> it's you,
0: Julie. Did you want to... Hey, f- just while I'm on that, can you, can you just for a second, actually, was that your question, Julie? Oh, uh, it's, yeah. Um, Julie, can you just share something that you shared with me? Share it with everyone here.
2: Um, I uh, just, went, I went up to um, uh, Curtis earlier and I said uh, that I wanted to thank him for doing this, uh, this study because uh, it's... Uh, As, um, I've, ooh, gosh <laughs> i 've been um, studying these things for the last um, couple of years, and um, to be honest i 've gone through a lot of periods where i 've really questioned what God has been showing me and revealing to me because a lot of it does fly in the face of uh, of what you 're traditionally taught, and I grew up in the church, and uh, I always felt that there was more that i just couldn 't grasp and, and no one had the answers that I was looking for and I always felt like I was in a bit of a, a maze when no one could give me a map to, to to kind of get closer to God. And I always wanted to get closer. I always knew that there was more, um, but I'd just never be able to find the way to it. And it wasn't until I was on maternity leave and I started getting into studying these things and the Hebraic uh, perspective that God just started revealing all these things to me. And, and it started off being a knowledge thing, because I'm, I'm big on knowledge. <laughs> and... Um, but the knowledge quickly, I, the more I, I, I learnt and I, and, and the more knowledge I got kind of fulfilled that part of my brain that needed the knowledge. And uh, things started falling into place so much. But then out of that as well came the, the whole relationship thing and just looking at the Bible in a completely different way, just seeing it as a whole and seeing just the beauty and the patterns and the depth of of just things that are in there that you just you just can't even imagine and I'd never even, no one had ever you know, talked to me about those things or uh, in, in the church that I grew up in and uh, I always had that kind of perspective that that young man had last week um, when he was talking about the you know, vengeful God and it just seems a bit schizophrenic. Um, so uh, so th- this study, the, the things that God was revealing to me was just so amazing and it blew my mind And but because I, I hadn't hooked into anybody here that also felt those things i did so often question so what, am i being deceived i mean this seems so right and it seems so beautiful but but why am i the only one that seems to be getting it <laughs> why, why isn't there anybody else well, it just seems so obvious i think the whole church should be after this it's just fantastic once you get that knowledge and the light bulbs go off you think why isn't the whole christendom doing this and teaching these things um so i asked god i said I need to find other people that think these things too, and because uh, I was getting a bit, a little bit discouraged. Um, and then the thing came up about the appointed times and the study, and my first reaction was, oh my goodness, they're going to butcher this. What are they going to say about this now? Because <laughs> I thought I had all this, this, this knowledge and this they're truth. They're still saying that, the beauty. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, not quite. <laughs> and then I came to the first session, and it was like, wow, thank you. Thank you, God. Somebody that's on my wavelength, and and I'm not alone, and it, it is right, and it's beautiful. And, and I, so I would just encourage you to, to go on this journey and to to ask God to reveal these things to you. And it doesn't have to be from an end times perspective. I mean, I'd not really got into the end times part of it before. It was really the Hebraic perspective and the culture and what these things actually meant and, and the Bible as a whole um, that I was studying. Um, but even that, that is just so so rich and so deep and so beautiful. And it would, just, it would just revolutionize your walk. It did with me.
1: Thanks
0: for
1: sharing that. All right, next question. Um, I'm part of a small, uh, small study group, and we were talking about who wrote on the tablets of stone. I understood you to say Moses wrote on the first, which he then broke, and God wrote on the second set, which he could not break. But I'm not sure that's what Scripture actually says. Uh, Exodus 24:12 talks about the first set where God said, I will give uh, the tablets of stone which I have written. And Exodus 34, verse 1 talks about the second set where God said, uh, He the two t- table of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these uh, tablets. But then in Exodus 34:27, the Lord said unto Moses, write thou these words so that verse 28 and he wrote upon the tablets the words of the covenant i am confused (laughs) um i guess please help and share some understanding
0: well that makes two of us because i obviously didn't make it clear and i have to apologize for this last week um i inserted um uh, moses dealing with the camp between the sets of tablets and uh that's just flat out a mistake or wrong, if I did put it across that way, but I'm sure I did. Um, so first thing, we've got to put that right. Moses gave the understanding to them first. Then he went up, and it is very clear in Scripture that God etched the tablets. When he came down, he smashed the tablets because of what he was witnessing, literally. And then 3,000. I, and the point I was trying to make last week was that what was delivered to the people that had come out of Egypt first before those 3,000 were taken, and this was the point I was more trying to make, I just didn't give the clarity to that I should have, and I, I, I beg your uh, forgiveness for that. But the real point is is that they were, they were shown and understood the truth, and that's the key thing here. So what I'm saying is the 3,000, when he was saying who is for, they had an understanding of what their relationship was going to be like with the truth of Yahovah or God. So um, I just just want to make that clear. Now, in the confusion bit that even gets more, so I threw a spanner in the works, and so now we take it one step further. The actual English translation okay, there is a contradiction in Scripture and it actually is real and it exists. And, and a lot of scholars have, have agonized over this because they're looking at it and there is mistranslation. It appears that Scripture is contradicting itself. There is actually a problem with the English. What, we, what I would say is this. If, if we do a proper Hebrew study on it, my position has been that the second, the, the, uh, the second time the tablets were etched was also the hand of God. But there are two scriptures in the English where there's a lot of interesting translations going on. And this has become some of the challenge of the English language where they actually seem to be on the second time around. On one hand, he's been instructed to write it down. And on the other hand, it's clearly um, God. So, um, and that's one where all of us to walk together and dig deeper and to seek an answer on this question and get back to, what was it actually saying? Because the English can kind of make this a little confusing. So, um, I didn't have time to go re my own understanding of why I've taken the position the second time the tablets were written. It was him, um, other than that the pattern was established on the first round. Okay? So, um, but again, we can walk this, um, walk this out together and have a look for yourself. But it is interesting when you actually go in there. So, I can understand the reason for the confusion, um, and it does it almost every time to anybody who's trying to work their way through the Excess account from 20,
1: Four to 34 plus um, I'll just ask the question again the person is here tonight that asked the question is there uh, more clarity you need or is there another question you'd like to ask from the answer that was just given happy? happy? okay um, we heard from the message that, there's still, uh, that there still needs to be an ultimate focus on the Ten Commandments as Christ fulfilled it but did not do away with it. Uh, what is your take on the importance of the Sabbath and when it should be observed?
0: <laughs> yeah, man, you, these are easy ones, right? Um, okay, that again, excellent question. Um, first of all, If I gave the impression that the focus were the commandments and not the giver of it, I apologize if I did that. Um, I hope I didn't, but I just want to make this very clear. The focus is Him. The outcome is something that is written on our hearts. Okay? If we make the focus the actual commandments, we are going to miss the point and end up in this whole scenario if we make the focus him and we get to know and have that relationship with him we could experience a transformation that could even put something onto our hearts which is the whole game so if i gave that position again i seek your forgiveness okay Uh, i really really wouldn't do that on purpose where did the question
1: what is your take on the importance of the sabbath and when it should be observed Okay, well,
0: first point is is that my take on the Sabbath is irrelevant. It's his take on the Sabbath that matters. Can we agree with that? Um, does everybody know that the Sabbath was made for who? You. Yeah. Um, for those who don't want to uphold it, that's fine. Enjoy your seven-day work week. Um, I'll take my Sabbath. Um, is it a part of those Yes, absolutely. So it's there. Is it something that will be written on our heart? Yes, it's for us. Um, however... And if you do your homework, and I don't want to sound like I'm picking on the poor Catholics because actually there's a lot of beautiful Catholics that I know that are seeking, you know, Him with all that they can at this time too, okay? So this isn't about bashing any particular thing, right? Um, However, because of the way the establishment and how it worked at the time, um, and it's clearly written and they made it to this day, they literally changed the Sabbath, um, which was actually from Babylon at that time so when you think of the calendar Saturday it's actually Saturn day. You actually need to know what that is in the calendar. And there's moon day and if you understand what you're looking at but we can't get into all of that tonight. But well, what I can tell you is that the, the um, it was changed from what we think of as Saturday and that's you can go clearly go to your home and go look for yourself. It's clearly admitted today. Um, was the early church celebrating it, and the Sabbath, they understood the Sabbath as what we think of today as Saturday? Yes. Um, And that is not a conjecture. That's just fact if you go and do your homework. Why it got changed, it's a whole other discussion, and we can get into some different areas there. But what I do know is this much. The Sabbath was a gift to me. It's a part of what will be written on my heart. It would be indeed a lot of the reasons why you would gather. Sabbath, to come together. So this whole thing has been given to us. Um, you know, I think if he put it into the marriage contract, that'll eventually be written on our hearts. I'd, I'd say that's still a pretty big deal today.
3: That, that one, that one's special to me, um, and not because it's part of the Ten Commandments, but that one was established first, and it I mean, he said that you know it was given for us, but he himself took Sabbath, uh, and he made it holy. So it's uh, it's, it's even beyond law. Uh, and when you th- when you think about you know, certainly you know Romans how you know this lo- the law is on our hearts. Uh, who here um, feels pretty uh, uh, passionate about having a day off each week? Anyone not really into that concept? <laughs> That one, (laughs) we fight for that, and there are labor laws to make sure, enshrined in the the code of society, that we will have a day off. That one is special to us. We know that we shouldn't kill, we know we shouldn't steal, and something within us tells us that we should have a day off. Um, So yeah, Um, well you can get legalistic about a Sabbath and and how you practice it and what you can and can't do, but um, yeah, that, that one was special to the Lord, and that he himself took rest. And uh, so, yeah, we should honour him, and I think doing the same thing. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I he could have had two; that would have been nice. Uh, <laughs> Some
1: people take more than two.
0: <laughs> um.
1: Once again, I mean, there was um, there's a list of questions sent by the same person, so I just wanted to um, ask: Is the person that asked that question? Is that if you are here? Um, it's, a, it's a group people. It's a group of people. Okay, cool. All right, another question. What is the relevance of the groom, Christ, dying so that we can remarry him again?
0: That's an interesting question. Well, I thought this would get deeper as we go along, but everybody just wants to get into it, um, which is fantastic. Um, uh, First things first, um, the... The patrol, or did anybody remember me speaking about the patrol of the condition? You know, that the actual, okay. And I was trying to say to you that the um, the Western mindset, the closest we can get in our Western mindset before marriage is what? Engagement. But patrol, patrol from a Hebrew uh, perspective is actually a little bit more serious than what we've come to know in the Western sense of engagement. So the words that is translated in the English, divorce and things like that, can lead to us thinking what? She literally has been betrothed. In other words, she's as good as married, but she's not yet. So what was broken, okay, what was literally broken, was the ability for this to be restarted. In other words... Um, she wasn 't married yet then his son it hadn 't actually, but it 's much stronger than what we think of his engagement. So when that divorce occurred and that broke away, what was happening, the restoration of the house of Israel was really interesting because he was if, if the groom didn 't die according to Hebrew marriage covenant, and he divorced her, she was unable to enter into a condition with anyone else that would end. Remember what this ends? And the marriage of the lamb king and his wife has now her We are in a bride state until the wedding. And you're going to find it interesting next week because the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, is actually a wedding feast. And so we don't have to invent this sort of thing. So we're heading to something. So what was happening was something was being made better in the Hebrew context. How do you make this better? I'm going to take it from stones, put it on the heart. I'm going to take the ultimate accountability for what I've created to make this real. It's going to be my blood. Do you know that this whole conversation points to the deity of who he really was? And if we get this... It's pretty serious business. And no one could have foreseen how far this really would have gone with the depth of God's love. But if we understand this, it's incredible. Because when He raised, when He died, she's being set free to enter into a condition again. And guess what? When He resurrected, guess who she could choose to perhaps do that with? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that's happening here on a big, big scale. is that the whole question? Yep. Does that help?
1: In the, yeah. If you are here, if you ask that question and you are here, does that help? They're not here. Not here, okay. Um, you spoke about last week how those that overcome will be seated on the throne of God. What lies ahead for those that are saved but do not overcome?
0: i got to go to the toilet. (laughs) Um, Wow, okay. Um, (laughs) Where it's mentioned on the throne is Revelation 3.21. Am I right on that? Um, Somewhere around there. Um, He will grant to those who overcome to sit with me on the throne. This was given to actually the worst of the bunch in the report card to the church um, to his people, which is Laodicea. And many... Believe that we're in the lay to age now, so we're in the lukewarm camp, where we're not we're struggling to get this right. Um, but there's a promise to that camp at the end. day. say spirit will pour out and the intimate knowledge will come about. And I we perhaps are actually living this. This is what's really kind of cool about what's going on right now. But w- one of the things that um, that I would say in that is that the whole seven churches are each given a promise at the end of them. You notice that, and that promise is actually to each of the overcomers. And if you actually read, I, I would, you know, just encourage you to do this. If you read the beginning of Revelation, which is the revelation of Him, if you read the promises to His whole body, the seven churches, if you look at those and just pull them out, have a look at what the Bride has promised when you just read them, one after another. And so we, our focus wants to be to be on being the overcomer, doesn't it? N- not necessarily what happens if we're not. Because <laughs> it's kind of like almost a defeated position almost. You know? It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to get there. Um, you know, I don't know who ultimately gets there and who doesn't because es- essentially in the Hebrew model, the bride is pulled from the people. So is the bride the church? Yes. Is all of the church the bride from a Hebrew perspective? Now, this is interesting. And from a scriptural perspective, there's a lot of things for us to look at. That can be quite shocking for some people. But this is not a salvation issue. This is an overcoming issue. And his blood is not on the stand because of our choices in the sense of what we do with the blood that bought us. But but how he judges it. Does everybody know here that we will stand at the judgment seat of Messiah? This isn't the great white throne judgment. We're standing in front of the one who bought us. It's called the groom. That's pretty interesting. So what's he judging and why? What selection process is being made? I conjecture the bride's being selected at the judgment seat of Messiah. And so my hope is this. I want to focus on being an overcomer, and I'd like to walk with other people who know how serious that is so you can help me because I I need a little bit of help. And I'm not just saying that. I need people to walk with me to go, Curtis, keep going. Curtis, do, you know what are you doing here, man? What's going on here? Okay? And if we do this together, let's be a body of overcomers. Now, there's some interesting discussions around those who don't make the overcoming position. There's some good news and bad news in that discussion. It's really fascinating. And we can learn about this through understanding what the processes were in the temple that was laid out. In the Tanakh, or the Old Testament. And there's some really neat things in there for us to understand. But ho- all hope's not lost, even in that position. But there is something that is being given as a really incredible and beautiful invite. And I know this. Whether you want to argue that all of the church is the bride, or all part of it, or, you know, what's overcoming me what it does, and we can all have our opinions, I know this much. If we stay focused on him, stay focused on overcoming, you know, hopefully then that's not some questions I've got to worry about later on. So let's just h- help each other finish the race. How does that sound? And this is what Paul was encouraging us to do. Because we can get into some interesting discussions. Sometimes don't breed some good fruit at times. I
1: don't know if you want, do you want to add anything to that at all? I mean, from a general sense?
0: He was... He really
3: <laughs> okay, yeah. I, um, I've wrestled with this and the teaching that, that I've heard on... The, on the overcomers and those who don't overcome in the outer darkness. I have, I've struggled with that. But it, whichever way I look at it, the, um, for me, the outcome is the same. For me, it's irrelevant. Uh, it's, it's not about getting a ticket into heaven. It's about coming to know God and know everything you can in Him. It's about relationship. If your focus is getting into, into a different realm, you're missing the boat on what it's all about. So for me, What happens to those who don't overcome? It's irrelevant because that's not what it's about. Uh, What what God told Abraham is that he himself was the prize, and that's what we've got to focus on. So, is it possible that there is um, some kind of lesser eternity, some lesser glory, um, lesser treasure for those who don't seek him with everything? Maybe. There's scripture that would suggest so. I'm, I'm not convinced about it fully. But what I know is that's not our purpose. That's not what our focus needs to be. So if we press into him, we will, we will receive everything he's promised. That's what we need to be focused on. So for me, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't care. That's it.
0: Let's focus on what is holy, what is pure, what is good. Let's keep our eyes on. Let, remember, don't hit the telephone poles. Right? We want to, you know, hit the mark. You know, and that's what sin means, missing the mark. We want to hit the mark. So let's, let's keep focused on the mark, which is him, right? Actually, I want to add one
3: more thing. Looking into this has changed the, um, my approach to, uh, to evangelism. And actually, some of this came out in the, um, in the furnace uh, modules on this. My, uh, my approach, the paradigm I'd worked to, it was all about getting the golden t- ticket into Kevin. And I don't know where I got that because, well, I know where I got it from, but it, but it wasn't actually just from reading the Scriptures. What, what Christ emphasized so much and what he modeled with his disciples was discipleship. And what, what I preached, though, and what I equipped young people for and what I, what I, what I proclaimed in, in gospel rallies was just about getting people to say a prayer, believe these things, say the prayer, and then you're set. And so I perpetuated this kind of model where f- what we see in Scripture and what Jesus modeled was um, bringing people into relationship with Him, discipling, walking with people, and I'm um, very encouraged to see that that is that is what we've been pursuing here, uh, rather than just a let's get people to sign this, let's get them to say this prayer, raise their hand, come to the front, and bang, we nailed it. God will be so pleased with us. Oh. Pardon the pun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Clay. On that. And that's and it's well said that, you know we um and i i'm not sure how many of us that have really tried to serve the lord in the past or for how long we have who wouldn't actually be guilty of you know um i'm certainly can really bear with you on that one
1: awesome um taking a look at the hebrew model of marriage who is the father of the bride negotiating the price to be paid for the betrothal, is it Satan?
0: Okay, um, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure the thought process of what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> however, um, I'll just answer the best I can. In, in, the, uh, in the case of the, the father of the bride and the father of the groom, in our case, is who? It's one and the same. In the human model, yes, they are different. But in the actual model, he's playing both sides. And there's actually some deep stuff to look at that if you want to look into that one. However, plain and simple, he's literally deciding the price he's going to pay for his creation. And his son is going, okay, Dad, I'll do it. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I would suggest to you that if Satan was anywhere near here, um, he certainly didn't have an understanding or even a comprehension that the creator of the universe was actually going to pay, you know, a price to make this eternity legit to this level. And and if he could, he would have stopped the crucifixion. Okay. So, not quite sure where the thought connection was. I hope that helps. But, um, yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Cool. Um, so when was the Passover? Wasn't the Last Supper the Passover? Uh, Mark 14.12 says it was But John 19.31 says otherwise I don't have those scripture references um, And weren't the lambs killed at twilight Like it says in Exodus 12 and Numbers 9.3 How does that all tie in with Jesus' death? I'm just a little confused.
0: right? Um, Yeah, and and look, I tell you what, these discussions are going on. Again, another good question um, to understanding what was actually happening. We were discussing it, uh, a number of us, this afternoon. And it really is a worthy type of discussion when you try and understand it from a fulfillment of the appointed times. If I can put it just as simple as this, okay? This was occurring on the eve when this discussion is happening for them. And so when did we say that the Hebrew... Day starts? Yeah. And so you've, you have something occurring right in the time. Now, this is where it gets interesting. These guys were anxious by this stage because guess what? They start slaughtering these lambs roughly around 12 o'clock the next day after this is sort of rolling into this, okay? So this preparation time or preparing for the Passover was like, <laughs> we're in trouble. And he's, they're actually anxious. Where's the lamb? See, we, we look at it and go, oh, he is the lamb. Again, we have the luxury of what? Hindsight. Did they? No. You see, they didn't realize they were being, being led to go through this time with him right into Gethsemane. So there's an incredible thing being fulfilled. And as that actually occurred okay, this, this anxiousness and everything else, he's actually changing the game. They're going, we don't have time to do this thing. So um, I'm not sure where the evening thing comes in In there. Actually, we, it's pretty clear um, uh, that the lambs were basically being slaughtered um, up to 12. I guess you could get a real late slaughtering that could go as much as is the evening. But generally speaking, you're preparing the meal, the Passover meal. Right at that time. So as the lamb's in the oven and doing its thing, Yeshua is being put into the tomb. And interesting? So you've got the lamb going into the, into the oven, if you will. Three days wh- in where? Into Hades and going through. So you've got this whole thing going on, which is really quite an incredible game. We don't have the time to really get into this tonight. This beautiful thing is unfolding. But basically speaking, when he was put on the cross is when they start to kill these things in the temple. So as he was being slaughtered, the lamb... It literally was starting in the temple. And generally most of them would have been killed by three, but you know, it did it, it could go on past that.
1: Is the person that asked that question here? And if they are, is that satisfied? do you need more do you want to ask more questions Does in relation help? to that? just wait for them. Or do you need to be explained again or No,
2: I'm just I think I'm probably just a bit confused because if Jesus is a Passover lamb then what were they doing on the night before he
0: dies well it's happening right on the eve remember the hebrew day starts when the sun okay, goes right. down okay, okay. yeah okay. see so yeah it's kind of like think of it like uh, the the first day of the christmas season or you know however you yeah. can try and relate to it it's literally the um, flowing in to what we would think of as Christmas Day, but for us it's sun up, isn't it? So it's all yeah, but a lot of people it's just about getting into that Hebraic mindset so we understand what we're reading because it looks disconnected otherwise and we just kind of glibly flip over, don't understand that, keep going, but you can there's no problem, we just got to get the right lens on and it makes sense, just like the whole three day, you know, understanding three nights, three days in the tomb and of course our tradition in Easter just doesn't make sense, and the world points that up, so does that help? Yeah.
1: I think they would have been looking. Just hold I know.
4: <coughs> If we are looking at the last supper as the Passover supper, which you would say is going to actually happen the next day for us, same day for them, of course. So this is something that's happened prior that's leading into it. Of course, he's the lamb that they're not eating. And they w- wouldn't have had it that night anyway because it was too early. They're going to have a flower.
0: It's the eve of the following, yeah. So he's actually bringing this thing forward because he knows what? No one's going to be eating the Moadame in this camp. When? Less than 24 hours or 24 hours from that point. Why? Because he's heading into a tomb at that point. They didn't know it though, did they? So he is literally fulfilling this. In other words, the dress rehearsal is going to turn into following this event anniversary and so we now remember what did he say do this in remembrance this is my body that has been broke what broke his body yeah. no nope. what it did there's a physical typology leading to the spiritual so yeah i agree that you know the, the whole physical act of the crucifixion but what what's he saying this is my body which has been broken for you he was the sinless thing and what's he going to take on yeah this is interesting you know this is this is literally contaminating you know a sinless sacrifice a spotless lamb he did overcome anyway i hope that helps um, Um, This is the last
1: question from questions we've been sent in and I think when we mention this you might be talking about this next week but um, from your message today understanding that the enemy sought authority to test Job from God and that God is ultimately in control why does bad stuff, example mark of the beast, food storage etc have to happen during end
0: times? Okay, well, um, first of all, um, what was the bit of Job at the beginning? Uh,
1: from your message today, understanding that the enemy sought authority to test Job. Okay, I'll, just, I'll
0: just clarify that. Um, God was the one who offered up Job, okay? When that offer up was happening, then who was laying down the rules? God was. In fact, he said, you can do, you can do this, but you will not take his life. So he's literally setting the the platform here. But let's just be very, very careful. He's not coming to God saying, I want Job. It's literally God offering Job up. Have you thought about my servant Job? Where have you been wandering to and fro the earth? He's literally going. Have you thought about him? That's why I say be careful, you know, because his title was right there. He was righteous in the Father's eyes, wasn't he? And we'd all like to be righteous in the Father's eyes, wouldn't we? Interesting, what he does with something that's considered righteous. So, you know, this is interesting. So you mean he can actually allow us to experience a test? Yes. Now, he may not be the tempter. We know the enemy is the tempter, right? The adversary. But he can allow the test. And what would be the purpose of that test? So when we're looking at something like, I guess, the things that would be mentioned in something we call the Great Tribulation, yeah. what, what would be the point right now? Anybody who's gone through any serious form of a refiner's fire in their life, did, it, did, it, um, uh, did you experience a growing and a maturing in that, or did you experience becoming dumber and sillier? What, you know, what actually happened, okay? So there's something coming, okay, that's going to be happening on a big scale. And there's lots of interesting things going on, you know. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, why would God do this to his bride and beat her out before his return and all that kind of a thing? Um, And to be quite honest with you, it it starts to get into a place where actually it's not healthy with how we're viewing this. If that's the case, then would anybody here think the disciple is the bride? disciples would be the bride? Yeah. Um, He he better apologize to them because I can tell you how their lives finished up. So he's beaten them up. So he's got an apology there. How about those that are dying right now as we speak in the Middle East and China and in different places of the world that are experiencing persecution? See, we enjoy the luxury of a Western perspective in our doctrine. Okay, and we have to be careful of this. And we hear statements that kind of sound, oh, "Yeah, why would he beat up his bride?" Why would he? You know, we hear this kind of thing, and it kind of fits in with our doctrine. But what does it actually say? I'm going to challenge you to think about some things because we're going to look at this seriously next week and just extend off in the conversation. But here's the things I want you to think about: Was Israel taken out of Egypt before those plagues, or preserved through them? Was Noah taken off the world or was he preserved through the flood? Was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll use the Babylonian terms here, um, were they preserved in the fire or saved from even being in the fire? And Daniel. You see, the pattern of what we're actually seeing here, for honest, is that he looks after his people in a time, a great time of need. And there's a reason why he does what he does. And I'm not here to tell people what they should believe in their doctrines and all this. What I know is this much. Anything that tends to appeal to the flesh, at least ask some questions about. Because I'm not sure if we're going to get I'm eating popcorn watching the rugby game ticket. It is a luxury we enjoy in the West at this time. And just be careful that we, we, you know, we need to substantiate this by Scripture. And I'm going to raise some, some very serious Scriptures next week to actually say, look, is it actually suggesting that we're not going to be here? Is it really? Is there a rapture? Yes. Is there a reason for this? Can He preserve us and protect us through that? In fact, actually, if we get the full picture of this, we could be witnessing some of the greatest things you could possibly be witnessing in your walk and actually experiencing the very of fire that would lead you to be an overcomer. And we all agree before this question, and it's a good question, we want to be an overcomer. Why would I remove myself from the very processes that refine me that I would become one? Is it possible one of the biggest blessings we're about to see if we are a Laodicean church, if we don't have it all, if we maybe need some refining, is it possible that this is actually a great blessing? And the way this has been taught is actually more the issue. And perhaps we're not looking at this the way we should. Just for the record, okay, just because I know this is going to be taking some people and going, Arr! but I once entertained the belief in a pre what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. And we're going to speak about this next week. By the way, if you take a true, honest, appointed time perspective, it does not line up. And there's somebody, as we talked today in Daniel, that doesn't want you to understand an appointed time's perspective because maybe we can start entertaining other things. And when you start to understand it, it's harder and harder to fit some of these doctrines we've been taught. Anyway.
1: I think... Um it makes sense in my head right now, so hopefully it 's going to make sense as it comes out my mouth but um, to a lesser degree, if you think of a of a natural parent and their child and how a natural parent will allow their children to go through certain things to grow and mature them if the child if the parent does everything for the child, it never grows up, and so there are certain things that you allow. Things to happen, but you 're always there to 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 see over and view over and in the need of intervene into, and I believe that 's how that God gives us that picture for us to understand us and him in our own maturing process because i don 't want my daughters at the age of twenty five being five years old still and having the maturity of a five year old when they should be an adult who understands and is able and the responsibility that that is to be theirs, you want to be able to give them, don't you, as a parent? And so that that has helped me understand. Looking at this, I I don't. Hopefully, it'll help you understand a bit, um, and I haven't confused you even more. Um, but all right, well, let's ask some questions because that's all the questions that came in via text and um, and email. So um, thank you. You'll hear this on the web. So thank you. If you're not with us tonight and you sent those, and we hope that the answers uh, have helped you so um, just put your hand up if you'd like to ask a question and and once again um, we're asking that the questions relate to the topics that we've heard uh, either last week or um, this morning it's not sort of a free for all to ask questions about this that and that we can answer those outside of this but we want to stick tonight to keep on topic Um, so uh, anyone want to go first? Okay. I'll just wait till the mic comes.
2: I've got a question um, that relates to the message this morning that just puzzles me a bit. Um, I thought I heard you say that Judas and Peter were um, the closest, rela- closest disciples to Jesus, and they were also zealots. It um, doesn't matter. I'm not quite sure what that is. But that, I know they were... Um, Mm-hmm. Certain, had certain um, beliefs. But I had the understanding that John was actually the closest disciple to Jesus.
0: Yeah, in fact, John, James, and Peter. If I gave that impression, I don't, didn't mean to do that. What I'm saying is they walked closely with him. Oh. Okay, so that's what I was trying to give. Absolutely, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was John, James, and Peter that he brought closest to him, and it's yeah. clearly shown. So no, Judas wasn't as close as his inner circle. But it was in his discipleship core, and so they walked closely together. Okay. And Come in on. fact, that night at the table, if you know how it would have worked, actually Judas was the one leaning right beside him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, but, yeah it's, sorry, if I, if I gave that impression, that's, yeah.
3: That actually um, did not remind me of a question I had at the time. Um, was I right in hearing um, that uh, Judas and Peter were zealots, as in, part of the political party looking to
0: overthrow the government? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, There's a number, there's a a way to view as to how deep that in political involvement was to where they a sect of it, all that. And there's differently scholar views on this. What we do know is what we can glean is what their understanding of a coming Messiah was. So to how deep it went with Peter and, you know, there is, that's just a, a study on itself. And there are a number of people that tend to go certain ways. What we do know is they both... We're very, very convinced that the coming of Messiah was literally to deal with Rome. That's a good question. To deal with Rome. And it wasn't as a suffering servant. Yeah. Yeah, it was a militant type view. So, but there is, yeah. It makes sense that, um,
3: well, that would line up with the fact that Peter is in the garden with a sword. Um, what's a fisherman need with a sword? What does a disciple of Christ need a sword? But if we had those leanings in there, yeah, it makes sense.
4: Coming back to the Sabbath day, the explanation that I've had that we change from Saturday to Sunday is because now, in the time of grace, we start off. With Christ to live the life where, in the past, they came to God to deal with their sin. Could you like to comment on that?
0: Um, again, the the heart of the matter is is the Sabbath and resting in Him. He is our Sabbath, so it's literally He's fulfilling us. So we don't want to lose the heart of that position. Um, first fruits is you know literally it was what we call Sunday. Um, And became the gathering Um, and the church did would gather in the early church would even gather on Sundays before that but it it didn't mean that it didn't honor and View honoring the Sabbath the way it did and the actual change or the justification You're quite correct that that change and that justification didn't come from their perspective It came what was imposed upon the early church as it was brought into, and we saw a lot of mixing of Babylonian traditions at that time as well, and it created a lot of the traditions that we see in the church today, celebrating a lot of things that actually have, are rooted in Babylonian traditions. So, um, you're right, the question was, what was the motivation, and where did it come from? And it wasn't actually from the early church side. So I do agree, but it's just understanding where that was coming from and the motivation behind it, and that's another discussion again, but. That's a good question. Just hold on. Sure.
2: Oh. Can I just add to that, that? I'm not sure where the scripture is, but clearly in Acts it says that the disciples gathered on the first day of the week. I'm not... That's just... Okay. Yeah. It,
0: yeah. But we've, just, we've had some interesting things happening along the way. So. I have
2: one small untricky question. Um, Ecclesia who are they and how do they know Um, and what does it sound like to be
0: called out (laughs) so far um I I think, uh, you know what, I'd look at this is just, uh, look, I'm just giving you the best I can from from my, I don't know what the other boys are going to say, so I'll let them answer this too. But for me, it's not so much what it sounds like, it starts to become more what it looks and sounds like. We we tend to, um, his way, his truth, his life. So what would that look like? Does it look like how I define it or does it look like how he defines it? And all I know is this, is I'm looking more the way he asked me to and I'm looking more at, what his plain truth is saying and I'm living this out, you know, in the way he's done. I'm noticing that a lot of the things that I struggled or pretended to have transformation on or wanted transformation on or whatever, even subtle things of the heart, which no one would even know, is interesting how it's starting to transform. And I can't claim how this all works. What I do know is this, his way brings life. And not everything we're seeing in the Ecclesia, the body, is bringing life. So I just kind of want to be seeking what is his. And let's, let's go for that because I believe that he's going to reveal it. He'll continue to reveal it. And so will we get this long along the way or we learn or whatever it is? He's, you know, let's just go for it. It's a great question. I don't know how much more to answer it. I mean, you
1: know. Um, for, I think one of the questions might have been how do you know? Um, do you mean how do you know if you are part of and i and I think um, and I think it's' it'll be similar to how I answered this last week is that you 'll find yourself modeling what he modeled so you 'll find yourself loving um, in a way that you haven 't been able to before and you 'll find yourself in situations that you 've never been in and uh, being challenged in ways that you 've never been challenged before, and um, loving when love isn 't necessarily deserved or you can even be the brunt of you 're being persecuted and god 's asking you what you love um, a little bit like Stephen to the old ult- the ultimate, but you can bring that right down to the smallest defense um, so I think it 's you 'll if you're honest with yourself, and you look at yourself, and over a period of, of months and years, are you changing? Um, do you find yourself involved in all areas of his life? Um, am I serving? Do I have a love for people that I didn't have before? Um, am I wanting to share that love with people? Um, Am I being connected, am I connected into a wider body because I understand the purpose for it. So I think, you know, it says in Corinthians that we are a letter or the Corinthians church, were a letter that that people read. And so I think another cool thing you can ask people is, you look at me, what letter are you reading? And they'll tell you, those that know you. And that'll give you a good indication of whether you... Are actually a follower um, because it will be demonstrated through your life
3: I find when you read through the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he'll he'll often in his introduction, as he addresses the church he'll describe what the church looks like so he'll talk about those who have been called out, he'll talk about those who have been sanctified by his name, so you could add up all those things and get a pretty good description, and there's another one um, in Corinthians um, uh, which I've always grabbed hold of an, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 18. In the first uh, place, I hear that when you come together as a church, and uh, you, could, you could skip that by missing the fact that it, the coming together is crucial to actually making your church. And the writer of Hebrews emphasizes this as well, you know, encourages not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But we've, um, as we see the day approaching, we should do it more and more. Um, I, I believe that you can you can be saved uh, uh, off on in the wilderness with the Lord, but to actually be part of the church, to be part of the body of christ you can 't do that on your own it 's not just you and him; it has to be in community and that was his plan from the very start and i 've preached this a number of times from the very beginning. Adam was not good until until there was community until Eve was created, and together in community made in his image, they were good in fact, it says they were made in his image, as if Adam on his own wasn't a true reflection of the community that we know God to be. So yeah, for me, church community is non-negotiable. That's all I have to say about that, Ingrid. I can
1: see Keith, anyone? Yeah.
4: So can you um, make a distinction between the... The church, the body of Christ, and Israel. Can you
0: make a distinction? Can you
4: can you expand, explain more in detail? What what's the difference? You last week you were saying that Israel was the called out ones, the uh, the chosen. So is is the body of Christ Israel?
0: Well, what I believe, if we're honest with what Scripture is saying, is that literally from Ezekiel to the words of Yeshua right through to the very origins of Genesis itself. He has a plan in a house and he's bringing it together. It's a great question for us to continue to look at too, by the way, Travis. Um, But he's got a plan in play. And even though that plan may have some bumps along the way or a break in the Nissan, a divorce that requires a, you know, uh, the blood of a groom to restore this whole thing, to get this all through, what is very clear is that we are seeing a spiritual and a physical model of something that is coming together. And in fact, indeed, he was praying for it, for this unity and this oneness that was occurring. So to those who are called and grafted in... um, some people try to make this all a physical thing so they're busy having disputes on genealogies and who's what tribe do I go back to or not and I think it can lead to some real bad fruit. Um, At the same time we can go the other way and say "Well, his plan doesn't matter who cares And and we just spiritualize it to a degree where it doesn't matter and actually if we're honest with the word it does matter to him. He has got a physical typology for a spiritual Reality that's going on and he calls it his people and he calls those people the house of Israel and we are grafted into his plan Spiritually, it is not about whether I was born a Jew that makes me the house of Israel And if we're honest with the totality of Scripture that is actually quite clear But but because we are taught to look at Israel as a piece of dirt and not a people we struggle. Just like we've been taught what? Church is a building? What, what the enemy is trying to do is make everything physical. Because if I can make you believe that, you can lose the context or the meaning of who and what you are. And we are his people that he bought and paid for. But I've been taught that Israel is a Jewish thing and it's a piece of land in the Middle East. And that is simply not scriptural it doesn't mean that the tribe of Judah isn't a part of the house of Israel indeed it is And in fact if it wasn't for the tribe of Judah we wouldn't be discussing a lot of things right now because these incredible truths were preserved through them and I am for the Jewish people I want this to be very clear tonight I am for the Jewish people but I am for his definition of the Jewish people and how this works with Israel not purely what the United Nations is pumping out right now i'm going to take the word of my god okay and let's just let's just understand that and see how this all kind of stacks up there is something going on right now that it can lead us to some pretty dangerous places and right now you know there is a sector of the church that if if this place The state called Israel decided to blow up one of the Middle Eastern nations beside it. There are portions of the church that would cheer. And on the other hand, that very, some of those same portions of the church that would be cheering are some of the very doctrines that are leading to anti-Semitism, true anti-Semitism. Because the way it's being portrayed is causing people to hate what? Hate the Jews. And this is interesting so we need to know how deep and really this goes and to understand this because if we keep betraying something in a certain way, there are people going, fine, then I'll hate the Jews because it's all about what the Jews are doing. Well, there's a Bible that tells me in the end times that the tribe of Judah is going to be hijacked by those who will call themselves Jews and who are not. And we have to be honest with what Scripture is saying for the end times, with all of what Scripture is saying, not just a certain way of viewing it. Anyway, I hope that helps shows, but it's a, it is, it's a great question. I think we need to continue to contend with that.
4: Do you know why the overcomers in heaven will be given a harp? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you want to, do you want to, man, you know what? I am sure there's a great treasure to this. This is the best I can come up with. Does everybody know the Hebrew language is 22? Good. 22 letters. Do you know how many strings are on the harp? Do you know that everyone's name in here plays a song in Hebrew? And if you were given a new name, which he's going to write, these sorts of things, isn't it interesting? You could actually have a song to his bride. This serenade, you know, the the beauty of this could be strong. I actually think that's a great question. You know what? I even think about things like that. That's why I'm answering this. Oh, you make harps. Wow. Okay. So I I think, yeah, I honestly think there is something special in this. And I think she's also given a name and we know that the Hebrew letter, the Hebrew alphabet is 22, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think there's a song for our names. Yeah. It's quite romantic, actually. <laughs> so it's I'm, a great question. Keith,
1: I'm going to look and have a look. See, made by yeah, that's right. Keith Harrison Campbell. <laughs> got a job 2014. Can
0: I have mine now? <laughs>
1: I'm going to say, he was in my life group, Lord. He was in my life group. All right, last question, and we'll wrap the night.
0: Um,
4: hey, I just noticed that a lot of the end-time teachers and stuff, they kind of um, explore the concept of a one world government, and um, I find it really hard, if you agree with that, to um, look through Scripture and clearly see that it says that, because that's what all of the big end-time... Um, teachers and stuff always talk about that there's going to be a one-world government and all this kind of,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a number of things assumed right through. Um, and there's good reason too. I mean, I, you know, let, let's be honest. A little bit of 11-11 is a whole lump. Just because one area takes certain views doesn't mean it's all truth, right? A glass of water with poison in it is not going not going to work on you if you're just looking at the poison, is it? In fact, a little bit of poison in a glass of water, you can drink that water and at first it's quenching, isn't it? But eventually you die. So <laughs> th- <laughs> there's, there's reasons why um, many good people seeking out honestly are saying certain things as they're regarding these end time theories. Um, and not all of them are not untruths, okay? And you're mentioning something for us to really understand. There is reasons why that is shared. And there are some of those things that I agree with. Um, that they do share, just because they may not share certain aspects of um, possible scenarios in the end times. What I love about your question is this. Ultimately, it's not about the one world government system. It's not about the Illuminati. It's not about these things. Um, it, It is, however, a reality of perhaps what kind of level of control is going to be going down on the earth, at the time that it happens, and I'm going to give you a scenario in the fourth week that maybe really, so it will surprise a lot of people as to what kind of a double stitch is actually going on here. But what I would encourage you this is that again, and um, what I love about this question: if we focus on what the Illuminati's up to, what the One World Government's up to, what they, you know, all that, and that becomes our focus. Are we focused on what is pure and holy? Yeah. And 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 are we to be aware of these things? Yes. But there's a difference between awareness and obsession. <laughs> there's a difference between um, being equipped and being morbidly fascinated. I, we, we need to just be honest and keep this balanced, okay? Because some of us are led to look at some of these matters deeper than others. We need them in the body. But they also need us. Those people need us, too, to bring them in. To So, okay, so what's happening is he's set it up as a team game. That's the reality. These guys sitting beside me. I mean, this is a team game. You in front of me. It's We, we need each other. So let's not just push each other away and whatnot. There are, for some reasons, for at certain times, people are going to be led to look at things. Let's just not only spend our time there, right? Let's help each other out of this. So great question. And my view would be, you know, look, there's some serious things going on, but, you know, let's stay focused on him as we do, as we should, Sorry.
3: Okay, Revelation thirteen. I'm not saying that's what it says, but that's where a lot of it comes, comes from. from. Yeah, yeah.
0: Greg. great. Does that help? Cool. Greg,
4: Just, just want to say that you know some of the stuff that we've, we've, has been touched on tonight and where this is going to lead us into is very easy. Which is a, you know what you're pointing out. Just in what you just said, to take our eyes off of what, who it really is about, and we continue to default, or can continue to default to look at all the other things that go on and to get wound up about those things. And that can bring fear to the foreground
0: and a heavy burden.
4: And a heavy burden. And when we look right back to the garden, and we see Adam and Eve walking in beautiful intimacy with God. When they sinned, they fell short of the standard. They broke intimacy. And what does it tell us? Is the first thing that He responded with, as God reached out in love to say, "Where are you?" Adam says, "I was afraid, and I hid." And fear suddenly becomes the thing that starts to drive instead of the intimacy and the love. And the very thing that the Lord is calling us for in this beautiful picture that is being presented is about intimacy. It's about love. And the Word he's telling us he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, of fear but a spirit of sonship a spirit by which we can cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Because it's built on intimacy. And as we grow in this intimacy, as we walk in love, love with him expressed one to another, it's that love, as as the message has been coming, it's that love for one for another that the world is going to see, that the world is going to look for in times like this but it's not based out of fear. So I just encourage us to continue to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord as we look at these things, as we uh, seek understanding on these things. Remember, it's based out of intimacy with the Father. It's certainly what I'm um, crying out for. It's what I'm longing for and continue to build on is love and intimacy with Him that's expressed one to another that'll lead us on. So uh, thanks again, Clay. Thanks, Greg.
1: Have a good week, everyone. Um, we do encourage you to listen to the morning's message and not just once, continue to listen to it. And last week's one, just all the messages to chew over. All right. Have cool weeks, and we'll see you soon.
0: Thanks, everyone. And uh,
3: just um, as you are listening again, if any other questions come up while you're re listening to it, fire them into us, and we'll uh, look. We can talk about those next week. Absolutely.